Thanks for the kind introduction. Uh, it really is a pleasure to be with you this morning to uh, share from God's Word. Um, and I can say I've been blessed this morning already just by being here uh, and enjoying that beautiful time of worship uh, together uh, as we've been in, uh, truly been in God's presence. So, um, thank you. And um, yeah, it's a pleasure to continue as we uh, continue in this series in Gideon. So, I think this is week five, um, and I've been traveling a bit, so I've either been in person or listening on the podcasts to the, the four weeks that have gone before, um, and I've really enjoyed what's been, uh, what's been taught so far. Um, but as you know, the series is called uh, God is the Hero. It's not called Gideon uh, is the Hero. And there's a very good reason for that. As we look into the life of Gideon, we're really seeking to understand more about the character of God, uh, more about how God reveals Himself uh, to us and how God works in and through those who have faith in Him. And as we start uh, week five of the series, let me do a quick recap, as all good series have. I've always got a quick recap um, of where we're up to so far uh, and what we've covered in the last four weeks. So, Mike uh, kicked us off reminding us of the period in Israel, Israel's history that these events took place that we're looking at the period after the children of Israel had been brought out of slavery uh, in Egypt, after they'd wandered in the desert for 40 years, and after Joshua had taken possession of the land of Canaan, or kind of, um, the land that God had promised them. They'd come into the land, but they hadn't thrown out the Canaanites and the other nations, and they'd started to live as tribes uh, and their tribal groups. They were living in a culture that was influenced by the nations that they had um, collaborated with or compromised with, um, and we see this cycle that uh, occurred time and time again, that the uh, people of Israel would worship uh, idols, they would fall away from God, God would punish them, and then uh, they would cry out to God, and God would raise up a judge, a deliverer who would come uh, and uh, deliver the nation and bring them back into relationship with God, and then the cycle would start again and again, and this happened generation after generation. And in the period that we're focused on, uh, the tribes of Israel are seven years into a period of punishment. The Midianites have been ravaging the land. Uh, they take all the crops. They take all the animals. What they don't take, they kill, they destroy, uh, and they've left the land an absolute uh, mess and after seven years, the Israelites, they're in extreme poverty. Um, they're on their knees. They're struggling day to day, trying to hide uh, food just to survive. And that's what Gideon was doing when the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And in that first interaction, we learned how God sees Gideon, but we also learn how, God, how Gideon sees himself, and they're very different. Gideon sees himself as the weakest son in a family that's the weakest clan in the smallest tribe um, of an oppressed nation, and yet God comes in and calls him mighty warrior, declaring what Gideon would become through faith in God. And not only this, but Gideon, uh, God declares that Gideon will save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. And then Simon shared with us how despite his fear and weakness, Gideon stepped out uh, for God in obedience, destroyed the altar of Baal, even though he did it at night because he was so afraid. So, he took tentative steps in faith for God. And then again, Mike uh, shared again how Gideon sought fresh revelation from God, sought that reinforcement as he grappled to come to terms with the leadership mandate that God had given him. And despite his weakness, 
the Spirit of the Lord fell on Gideon. He sounds the trumpet, and he starts to draw the people towards him, the tribes of Israel. And he manages to amass 32,000 people together to go into battle against the Midianites. And then last week, Kate shared with us how God cut back those numbers from 32,000 down to 10,000, and then down to 300, and declared to Gideon, I will deliver you with the 300 men that lap the water and will give the Midianites into your hands. So let all the other people go, each man to his home. So that's the quick recap. And across the last four weeks, we've uh, heard some great teaching that can really apply to us as individuals, but also to us as a church collectively. We've heard that we, um, we've been called to step out in faith for God. We heard that even when we see ourselves as weak and inadequate, God will reveal Himself and His calling on our lives. We've heard that we're in a battle with the world, in this world, and we're, we are the light of the world. We are the answer as the image bearers of Christ. We've heard that God doesn't need big numbers to do great things, and we've heard that we are called to step out of the boat in faith over fear, called to prayer, called to serve, and called to witness. And so we come to this next installment in the story of Gideon, and let's read from Judges 7. Uh, you should be able to read along on the screen, uh, or if you want to read along in your Bibles, it's Judges 7 verse 9. Um, and I realized I brought the wrong version that doesn't match with what's on the screen, so I'm reading from the phone. Hopefully, I've got the right one this time. Uh, so, Judges 7, verse 9, and we read this. Now, the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Gideon, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. But if you are afraid to go down, go with Pura, your servant, down to the camp, and you will hear what they say. And afterward, your hand will be strengthened that you may go down against the camp. So he went with Pura, his servant, down to the outposts of the army that was in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley, as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. When Gideon came, behold, a man was relating a dream to his friend, and he said, Behold, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread was tumbling into the camp of Midian. And it came to the tent and struck it so it fell, and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. His friend replied, This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given Midian and all the camp into his hand. When Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands. He divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put uh, trumpets and empty pitchers into the hands of all of them, with torches inside the pitchers. He said to them, look at me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I and all who are with me blow the trumpet, then you also blow the trumpets all around the camp and say, for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, when they had just posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the pitchers that were in their hands. When the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing and cried, 
a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran, crying, as, crying out as they fled. When they blew three hundred trumpets, the Lord set the sword of one against another, even throughout the whole army. And the army fled as far as Bethshitta towards Zerera, as far as the edge of Abel-Mehola by Tabith. The men of Israel were summoned from Naphtali and Asher and all Manasseh, and they pursued Midian. God sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against Midian and take the waters before them, as far as Bethbara and the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were summoned, and they took the waters as far as Bethbara and the Jordan. They captured the two leaders of Midian, Oreb and Zeb, and they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and they killed Zeb at the winepress of Zeb while they pursued Midian. And they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon from across the Jordan." So, a fairly lengthy passage that uh, we've read today, but, you know, a really almost a culmination of uh, the four weeks that have gone before of what we've heard God speaking into, into Gideon's life. And, you know, when I find when we read um, parts of the Bible like this, it's really easy uh, to pass judgment on how people act. It's really easy to, um, you know, judge how they sh- we think they should react. And, you know, that's partly because we know how the story plays out. Um, We know the beginning from the end. We know the end from the beginning. uh, And it can be really easy for us to reach our own conclusions uh, about what Gideon could have done or what Gideon should have done. Um, Not just with the benefit of the hindsight, with hindsight, but the benefit of having the whole canon of Scripture in our hands. And it's actually quite difficult for us to put ourselves in Gideon's situation, the situation that he found himself in right at that point in time. You know, by Gideon's own admission, he has been weak, he's been fearful as he's stepped into leadership. Even though God has reassured him, he's taken tentative steps to carry out what God's asked him, and he sought repeated revelation from God to convince him of the way forward. And I can only imagine that with 32,000 men, Gideon may have been getting some confidence. He may have been thinking that he was starting to put a battle plan together, and now that's gone and he's left staring at 300 men, 300 men that God has promised will defeat the Midianites. And you know, right there, right then, Gideon has no clue what's going to happen next. Yes, God has promised a victory in every encounter he's had with Gideon, but the cold, hard reality is that facing an enemy with thousands and thousands, with a man of 300, He's paralyzed by fear again. How do we know this? Well, verse 9, God tells Gideon to go down against the camp uh, because he's handed it over to him. It has already been done. But that if he's afraid, he should go down to the camp with his servant Pura because what he hears there will give him courage to take on the mission. And he's clearly afraid because that's exactly what he does. He chooses to go down to the camp with Pura. But you know, God recognized that Gideon was afraid. It's really important to see that God knew Gideon's fear. He knew Gideon's heart. He knew that what he was asking Gideon to do defies human logic to some extent. It defied military tactics, and it required Gideon to do one thing. It required him to place absolute faith in God. And so, God reveals his patience. He reveals his desire to reassure Gideon as he steps out in faith to do what he's asked him to do. 
So you can just imagine Gideon and Pura going down um, cautiously, quietly, clandestinely down to this outpost of the camp uh, where the armed watchmen are looking out. They're just changing guard in the middle of the night. Um, and he can hear this conversation, one man telling the other of his dream, and he says, a loaf of barley bread was tumbling into the camp of Midian. It came to the tent and struck it so that it fell, turned upside down, and the tent collapsed. And you know, that dream alone, Gideon hearing that would have had significance for him. Barley was a poor man's grain. It represented for him the poverty that Israel was going through at the time. The tents represented these uh, Midians, the nomadic invading tribes, and then his friend chimes in and says, this is nothing other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has handed over to him Midian and all the camp. And then we read that Gideon hears this and he worships. And you know, this was the final reassurance that Gideon needed. Despite having had direct revelation from God repeatedly, it's this dream, this overheard conversation by the enemy that seals the promise in Gideon's heart. And you know, Gideon was reassured by God. God reassured Gideon as he stepped out in faith, not just through direct revelation, but through this enemy conversation that he overheard, God reassured Gideon. And not only this, but Gideon learned that the opposition was afraid of the God of Israel. And so he goes back to the 300 and shouts, Arise, for the Lord has handed over to you the camp of Midian. And if there was any final convincing required that the victory was all from God's hand, just look at the weapons they took into battle. Swords, shields, and spears? No, it was trumpet, flaming torch, and clay pot. And, you know, what a bold plan that God gives to go up against uh, this mighty army of Midian. And, you know, three companies of a hundred men, they were probably barely enough to surround the camp. And then, you know, we see this amazing plan that comes together. They blow the trumpets, they smash the clay pots in the middle of the night, they disorientate the Midianites. They probably thought there were thousands and thousands of them. And they start to flee the camp. They blow the trumpets again, and in confusion, the Midianites start to turn on each other and their swords and start to kill each other, and the rest flee for their lives. And you know, this was all of God. God had this in, start, in, in mind from the start. He had the end in mind from the beginning. And he declared from the start that Gideon was a mighty warrior, and, it, and he would give him victory. And this is what comes to fruition. Gideon is a mighty warrior, and God gives the victory. Even when he couldn't see it, even when he was hiding trying to uh, feed his family. Even when he thought he was the least of the least of the least, God saw him as a mighty warrior, and God declared that over Gideon. And you know, this story in and of itself should be a great encouragement to us individually and to us as a church. You know, we have a God who cares. We have a God who wants to reassure us as we step out in faith and everything we do for Him. We've got a God who knows the end from the beginning. He knows what is ahead. He draws alongside us as we step out and we step into what His will is for us. And our God knows our opposition. He knows our challenges. He knows our enemy better than we do. And in our weakness, He calls us to rely on Him to deliver victory, even when that seems completely impossible to us, just like it did 
for Gideon. And you know, the Bible is full of God's promises of love, of protection, comfort, security, forgiveness, and reassurance. And if you ever want to know how the Lord Jesus Christ feels about us, read John chapter 15, and then read John chapter 16, and then read John chapter 17. It is overwhelming when we read what God's desire is for His people. And you know, as we think of Gideon's experience, his faith, his reliance on God, I think of Hebrews 11, where Gideon is named alongside so many others in what we call the hall of faith. And it's in Hebrews 11 that we read this, that faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. Um, Now, let me come back to chapter 11 of Hebrews, but um, I love how the writer, after listing all these men and women of faith, he then zooms out and he writes this at the start of chapter 12. Uh, He writes, therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's rid ourselves of every, every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking only at Jesus the originator and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, the author pulls us out from looking at Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, um, and all these great people who uh, showed faith, and he focuses our attention on Jesus. And you know, what struck me most was that all of those in chapter 11, they stepped out in faith. They stepped out believing in God, but they didn't know what was going to happen in the next minute. And yet Jesus, who was truly man and yet truly God, He knew the end from the beginning. He knew what lay ahead of Him, and He was faithful to the will of the Father, but as the all-knowing God, He knew what lay ahead You know, in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, as Jesus is in the final hours before His crucifixion, He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we read this, that He knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from Me, yet not My will but Yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to Him, strengthening Him, and being in agony, He was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. You know, in that moment, Jesus knew what lay ahead of him. He knew that he was going to be beaten and whipped with metal shards that were going to make his back look like a plowed field. He knew that he'd be spat on. He knew he'd have a crown of thorns rammed into his head. He knew he'd be forced to drag this massive wooden cross up to where he would be crucified. He knew that he'd have nails smashed into his hands and to his feet. He knew that every bone of his body would be out of joint as he hung there. He knew that he was going to be the sacrifice for sin to take the punishment of the sin of the world. And in that moment, as he prays to the Father, he asks for this future to be taken away from him, but only if it's the Father's will he surrenders himself. He obeys completely the will of the Father. 
And Hebrews 12 tells us that Jesus did this for the joy that was set before Him. What was that joy that was set before Him? It was the joy of redeeming a people for Himself. It was the joy of presenting a spotless bride, the church. In John 17, Jesus prays this to the Father. He says, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. What an example of obedience and surrender Jesus shows us. And as I look at all these men and women listed in Hebrews chapter 11, who despite their fear, their weakness, their arrogance, their sin, they're all listed in the hall of faith. And what is it that stands out about them? It's their surrender and their obedience to God. That's what marks them out. They were nothing special of themselves, but they chose to surrender and obey God. Absolute trust, absolute surrender, and absolute obedience is what God asks of us. And, you know, as I draw to a close, I wanted to share two words that I feel um, that God's laid on my heart to share with you this morning. And those two words are, no more. You know, the, the times when God raised up men and women who surrendered in obedience to God were often times when God said, no more. In Genesis, God looked at the wickedness in the earth, and He said, no more. He was sorry that He'd created man, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and He faithfully built an ark in the desert. When the people of Israel are in slavery in Egypt, God said, no more. He raised up Moses, stuttering and stumbling, to go before Pharaoh to let his people go. And Moses surrendered himself and was obedient to God. And as we've read today, when the Midianites had ravished the land of Israel for seven years, God said, no more. And he raises up Gideon, the most unlikely of leaders. And despite his fear, Gideon showed faith. And he surrendered in obedience to God. You know, as Mike shared, we are in a society that is desperately in need of God. And as a church, what is it that God's saying to us that is no more? What is the no more that we as a church need to step out in faith to be the salt and light in the community? You've heard that we need to step out of the boat in faith over fear. We've been called to prayer, we've been called to serve and called to witness. And as we read in Hebrews 12, what are the obstacles or sin that is stopping us from stepping out in faith? What is stopping us from stepping out in obedience to God? What is it in our lives individually that God wants us to say no more? Is it fear? Is it the things we put in the place of God that consume our time? Is it areas of life, our lives, that we have not surrendered fully to God. As Miles and the team come up, just before we um, continue in, in worship, I just want to ask you to um, really reflect on what is it that God is saying to us this morning? 
What is it that no more means to us as a church? What is the no more? What are the things that we need to be stepping out boldly, knowing that God is with us, that God knows the end from the beginning? What is it that we need to be stepping out in faith? And as individuals, what is it that's stopping us? What is it that in our lives alone that we can see that is holding us back, that is stopping us from taking that step? Just like Gideon, we can be fearful, we can be afraid. There are so many things that can stop us. And yet God is revealing himself to us and God is calling us to step out in faith. So as we come and worship, I just ask you, you don't have to come to the front, you don't have to do anything, but I just want you to think around what is it that God is saying to you today? What is it that he wants to say to each and every one of us as we go from this place today that's going to change, that's going to be different for us in the week ahead? Um, and what is it that God is saying through those words, no more? And maybe just as we um, worship, feel free to um, speak out those promises that God has given over your life. What are the promises that he gives? What are the promises that he said he will stand by us, that he will be with us, that he will never leave us or forsake us? What is it that the promises mean to you that give us that boldness to go forward into this week in faith? Our Father, we just thank you that you are a God who is constant. You are a God who is an emboldening God as we step out in faith for you. And Father, we just thank you for this picture of Gideon who was so weak in so many ways and yet he did what you asked and he obeyed you and he stepped out in faith to lead your people into freedom. And Father, I just pray that this morning each one of us will really be able to understand the greatness of your reassurance, the greatness of your love that you want to show to us and pour out on us every day. And Father, I pray that as we worship Teller, that we'll be open, we'll be open to being filled anew with your presence, with your spirit, that Father, we'll be effective for you and that will be um, emboldened to speak and emboldened to act and emboldened to live our lives for you. And Father, we just ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.